Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Today, as we jump in, Paul, in addressing both the Jew and the Gentile, is going to be dealing with and addressing a very, very important, vital really cool part of both the nation of Israel and Gentiles. And this is the whole premise of this chapter. And there's some really cool unifying language in this that's gonna give us a lot of hope. I wanna give you a little bit of an understanding of what he's talking about so you can have that understanding. But then I wanna make it applicable to us and actually how we move forward as these, these people of God. Romans 11 starts this, the first five verses says this. I ask then, this is Paul speaking, has God rejected his people? He's speaking of the Jews. And he answers this, absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite. In other words, Paul goes, he better not because I'm one. So I hope he didn't reject us. I'm not. I am a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected the people that he foreknew. Paul begins this chapter by making just the very, very simple, straightforward point because he's really really messed with the nation of Israel, the belief system. He's really messed with with their understanding. He's really messed with the idea of, of the law and following the law and then the fulfillment of the law in Christ and this new spirit-filled life of following Christ. He's really, really messed with them. So you know that in it, there's started to be a little bit of question of like, so what about us? And Paul goes, hey, God's not rejected you. God has not thrown you aside. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. This is the the powerful thing about this is as God is speaking through Paul to the the nation of Israel, he's making a really important point. And he says this, that, that, that he has a plan for his people, that there's a plan that he laid out from the beginning of time. And we know this about the the fulfillment of God's plans. If God laid out a plan, he would fulfill it. If God gives a promise, it will be fulfilled. The nation of Israel were given this this plan. They also were the chosen people. And there were certain promises that were given to the nation of Israel to be fulfilled. Now, now here's what's really cool, because sometimes it can get a little tricky, right? So, So wait, so God has all these promises for national Israel about land and things to come and and all of that. And, and then there's like us Gentiles, like how, how does that all work and tie together? The beautiful thing about the nation of Israel is this, because they are God's chosen people, that they are given as an example and a model throughout history of God's faithfulness to his people. So whenever we look through biblical history and how God's hand has been on the nation of Israel, how he's cared for them, how he's redeemed them. And even, yes, I'm telling you what, one of the hardest things to do as a parent sometimes is discipline. But even in the discipline of God showed how much he loved these people. 
And as we look through and how God dealt with and the promises that he made and the promises that he fulfilled, we look at our lives and go, there is a faithful God that loves us and has also given us spiritual promises of a spiritual inheritance that you'd better believe he will fulfill. So we see this really cool model and example that's laid out in all of this. The fulfillment of the natural promises to Israel solidify our belief in the fulfillment of the spiritual promises made to us. Now, obviously, the spiritual promises absolutely apply to the Israel, to the the Jews that have faith and believe in Christ and follow the Messiah. Absolutely, it does. But we see just such a beautiful picture of the inner workings of God and how God does all of this. Now, here's where it gets interesting, though, for today. Paul is addressing the nation of Israel and saying, you're not rejected. God has not rejected you. He's not turned his back on you. And by the way, that same thing we can apply to our lives. God has not rejected you because of the things that you've done that have fallen short of the glory of God. He has not turned his back on you. He has not had enough of your disobedience and rebellion because we all have a little bit of disobedience and rebellion, correct? I mean, we're all kind of in the same place. God is not turned his back on us. But now Paul's gonna give a really clear distinction here, and this is really, really important for us to understand. Because in the fact that he is talking to the nation of Israel, he's talking about true Israel, not national Israel. Now let me explain what I mean by this, because this is gonna frame in where we're going. The next part of uh, Romans 11 says this, or don't you know, What the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and they've torn down your altars and I'm the only one and they're trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? No, listen, listen, you can put it up. I've left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way then, and this is the really important word that we're going to focus on today, there is also at this present time a remnant chosen by grace. A remnant. The amazing part and thing about a remnant is it's those who remain. Whether they are Israel descent or Greek, Jew or Gentile, those who remain in faith are considered the remnant. It's the idea of a nation within a nation. Both can be applied to Israel, and this is what Paul's saying, but it can be applied to us as well. We live as people in a culture, in a society, in a a country, in all of these things, but we live as a nation within the nation. The forefathers had it right when they said that it was one nation under God. Now today, what remains true is that those who are the followers of Christ remain the people who are faithful to Jesus, faithful to his promises, 
faithful to the salvation that comes through the cross. These are the things that come through this, this idea of the remnant. Now, now Paul speaks of this earlier because we have to remember back in chapter two of Romans, he says this, for a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. True circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Well, what does that speak to? Your inner person is your, your heart. It's your heart. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. And then he moves on a little bit further. Go ahead, Ethan, down to the next one, and one more. Romans 9, he says this. One more, sorry, there you go. Not, uh, now, it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the remnant. The remnant of Israel are those who keep their faith in Messiah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this to lay a groundwork for where we're going here. Because this is really, really important for us to understand our part in the story. Our part in this grand narrative that God has put together. And in this passage, Paul's going to use an illustration. He's going to use a, a word picture to help understand what this is for Israel and for Gentiles to be, to be put together as the remnant. What does it actually look like for this to be able to take place? So what he does is he's going to give the illustration of grafting. Who here is familiar with grafting when it applies to a bush or a tree, right? It's the idea that you have one kind of tree or bush or plant and you take a branch from something completely different and you work it into that tree. My parents in their backyard, uh, they, they have, it, it actually is really cool. It's a mini tree, but it has four different varieties of apples on it or like two apples and a pear or something crazy like that, right? But it's amazing because it's one tree that has all this variety on it. It's really actually cool. There's a science to it and it's, it's fantastic. But Paul's gonna use this idea of grafting to talk about this relationship and to talk about the remnant. Verse 17, he says this. Now, if some of the branches, he's speaking now of the Jewish, the national Jewish nation. If some of them were broken off and you, though a wild branch, Gentiles, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. Now, I'm gonna pause before I go on here because knowing what the tree is helps us to understand how all of this comes together. The tree that Paul is talking about is the purposes and the promises of God from the beginning of time. It's the covenant that God made with his people. This is the tree. It's the purposes and promises of God. So you have this picture then of you have national Israel being in, and then you have Gentiles also being grafted into what? The plans and the purposes of God. And then he says this to the Gentiles. So don't boast that you're better than those other branches. But if you do boast, remember, remember, you don't sustain the root, but the root sustains you. In other words, you're not all that in a bag of chips, 
but you have a God who from the beginning of time had a plan, had a purpose, had a destiny that he would carry out and you get the amazing privilege of being a part of that. This is where we sit today. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in, which is true enough. They were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. What do we stand by? Faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in the work of the cross. Faith in the work of salvation to take place. Do not be arrogant, but be aware, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. That sounds really like puts us on shaky ground. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, key thought, if you remain in his kindness. Remain. Remnant, remain. Remnant, remain. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, meaning if they turn to belief, if they put their faith in Jesus, will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. Next slide. Four, if you were cut uh, off from your native wild olive tree and against nature were grafted into the cultivated olive tree of God's plans and purposes and his covenant, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Some interesting verbiage, and there's a lot wrapped up in those few verses. But the main chunk of it wraps around this. What Paul is addressing is a people that what sets them apart as the remnant are those who remain and stand in faith. This is what God is speaking. This is what God is speaking through Paul about. This is the importance of this factor right here. The tree represents the plans and the purposes of God. Now, I'll give you, give you a little bit of, of, of this backstory of this beautiful plan of God so we understand that this is something that has always existed. And then I'm gonna move on to where I really wanna sit for the, for the meat of today. Leviticus 26 says this, God saying to his people, but when they confess, they being the Israelite nation, the people of God, when they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me and how they acted with hostility towards me and I acted with hostility towards them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they make amends for their iniquity, repentance, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. What is God talking about? He's talking about his eternal purposes and plans that he set up. Paul writes in Ephesians and lays this out really quickly in this way. This is, so the first 10 verses, he's talking about the things God does and how God works and how God acts and all of these things. And then verse 11, he says, this is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what's so beautiful about this. And this is what I pull out of this. It's so incredible. God knew, bless you, God knew that we would be a people 
that are born into sin, that fall short of the glory of God, that are incapable of living a perfect life. So what did he do? Before the foundations of the earth, he planned a way for us to be forgiven of those things, for us to be able to be in relationship and unity with him through Jesus Christ. Now that sounds like a plan and a promise that I want to be a part of. It's an eternal plan. It's an eternal purpose. It's one that's existed where God now is rolling this plan that he has had. So then we can culminate all of this together by saying that the Gentile remnant, this is this passage boiled down into a statement, the Gentile remnant will be grafted in to the purposes and promises of God with the Jewish remnant that remains by faith. And this is what Paul talks about. This is where he's talking about one new person in Christ, neither Jew nor Greek, neither Jew nor Gentile, it's one in Christ. And what is that centered around? Faith in Jesus Christ, the plan of, uh, the plan of redemption, the plan that he's made out from the beginning of time. It's all of this that unifies us into one person in Jesus. The remnant are those who take hold of the promises of God by faith. Now, okay, so I gave you a little bit of background, okay? That's, that's all I'm gonna do, because I, I wanted to paint a picture to get you ready for where I want to go. Does everyone understand what I'm communicating? Yes. Does that uh, make sense? Okay, all right. So why, why is this important to us, right? Okay, great. There's a lot to do here with, with uh, national Israel, and there's a lot that's spoken there, but there's also things that are spoken to Gentiles. Why is this grafting thing so important? Why is it so important for us to understand the promises and the purposes of God? Why is it so important for us to be grafted into this tree? Well, one is because if we think about it, God has made some really amazing promises, I, I put a few of these up that I just want us to get into our spirits and get into our hearts because these are the promises that God's made that he fulfills. He has promised eternal life. How many of you are thankful for that promise? Okay. He has promised that his grace is sufficient for us, that we don't need more than his grace, that in our weakness, we are strong because of his grace. He has promised that his children will not be overtaken with temptation. He says when there's temptation that comes to you, you won't be tempted more than you can handle by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the work of the cross in your life. He's promised victory over death. When he died on the cross and when he rose again, he took the keys of death and of hell and he conquered them once and for all and said that the powers of Satan and the powers of this world have no more power in our lives. I, okay, I get excited about these. Okay, he has promised to supply every need, not every want. I'm sorry. You know, we're in Western American church. You know, can we, can we change that? Like, can we change that? He will supply my every want. <laughs> no. You know, you know the thing that's really interesting about this one? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. What we actually need is, is very, very different than what we want. What we, what we actually 
actually need. I, I don't like to think about that because then you start making the list of the things you actually need. Well, there's not much. I mean, there really isn't. It just boils way down to some very necessities of life, you know, like it gets very simple. Okay, so he provides every need. And he has promised that all things work together for the good of those who love him. These are the promises, and these aren't all of them, but I just picked a few. These are the promises that God has given in your life. These are the promises that he's given. These are the promises that he's made a way for. So why is this important? Because God's made some amazing promises. Are we going to be the people that continue to have faith in the promises that he's made? God's looking at our heart in that way. The second thing that's important about this, and this is where we kind of land here today, is that we as the remnant, as the believers in Christ, as those who remain in the faith, we have a responsibility to live out. Not, not works, not, not any of that, but we have a responsibility to live out as the remnant. Three things that, that Paul lines out here, and, and I, I want to, I, I got through a lot of this stuff because I wanted to give you a little bit of a basic but I want to I talk to you now as, as just a pastor. Because as I was praying through and processing through this passage, it became really, really apparent to me that there's some key things that Paul says that if we are the remnant, those who remain in faith, those who remain connected to the promises of God, there's some things that, that show in our life, not works to be done, but the evidence of God working in us. And so I wanna, I wanna give these to you. And I'm, I'm telling you, this week, on Wednesday morning when I was prepping, I was just working through this message and praying through it. And these three things, I actually, I actually just stopped studying on them for a second. And I just started praying them over my life. And, and I'm telling you what, something shifted. Because there's one thing when you read things and when you ingest knowledge and when you ingest some of this understanding, there's another thing when you start to pray that the Holy Spirit would activate those things in your life. He starts to reveal things to you in maybe ways where maybe you've been out of whack just a little bit. And the way that he does this is through love. Not judgment, not condemnation, not like, you don't have it together yet? No, it's a gentle reminder that says, hey, listen, my people, my remnant, my people who continue to believe and continue to have faith, this is what I want your life to look like. So what are these things? Three of them that Paul lays out. One, continue to believe. The mark of the remnant is that there is a faith that remains. That in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the things that we face, in the middle of the questions and the wrestling and all of these things that take place in our life, that we are a people that make a choice to continue to believe in our God, 
to believe that he can work and that he's powerful and that he is working for the good of those who love him, just like we read just a second ago, that we continue to believe. Verse 21 and 23 says this, true enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant. Be aware, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And even they, verse 23, if they do not continue or do not remain in unbelief, in other words, if they continue to believe, they will be grafted in because God has power to graft them in again. What's the key to this whole thing? Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Where, where is your heart at? Where's your heart at? I, I'm aware that we live in a world that we walk through a lot of crazy stuff. And sometimes believing in the power and the sovereignty and the ability of God can sometimes get cloudy. If we're just honest with ourselves, we look at unfulfilled things in our life. We look at things that, that we've wrestled through with a really long time. We look for answers to certain things and don't feel like the answers are there yet. And sometimes it's easy to look at those things and just be like, God, I want to believe, but you gotta help me with my unbelief. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really wrestling. What God's looking for is a people that say, okay, I don't understand what's going on. I don't have all the pieces put together. I don't have the whole picture put together. But God, I continue to believe you. Because what more do I have? What more do I have? The second thing. It says three, but it's two. Trust me, I know how to count. The second thing. The remnant. Are, I was homeschooled. The remnant are those... <laughs> The remnant are those who remain humble. Who remain humble. Humility is also a very unpopular thing in our culture. What's praised is people that are very, very sure of themselves. What's praised is people that think they got it figured out and they got life all sorted out. Those are the people that are successful that we look at as a culture and go, wow, they have got it dialed, man. But what God's after is the humility of our heart. Paul dealt with this in the first couple of chapters of Romans where he talks about that there is an arrogance to sin that leads to not only an acceptance of those things and an adjusting of our mind and our will so that we actually believe that the sin that we allow to live in our life is okay, but we even go one step further to applaud that same sin in other people. It's an arrogance to believe that that consequence of that sin doesn't apply to me. But it's also an arrogance in understanding the acceptance by God on a basis of something that isn't true. What is our acceptance based in? Grace? The grace of the Father that sent Jesus to the cross that died for our sins. It's not anything else that we make it, but it's the humility of our heart to understand, I need a Savior 
I need somebody outside of myself to save me. Humility, walking in this. He addresses both the Jew and the Gentile. The Gentile, he speaks in verse 18 and says, don't boast, don't boast that you're better than those branches. But if you do boast, remember, you don't sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Remember, right? Don't, don't get arrogant. And then he talks to the Jews in verse 25. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will be conceited. Don't, don't be conceited. The NASB, the New American Standard, translates it this way. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Like, don't, don't, don't think you're better than you are. The biblical definition of humility is this. It's having an accurate self-assessment of yourself. It's essentially seeing yourself through the eyes of God. It's seeing who you are in Christ. Not thinking higher of yourself than you ought, but also not thinking lower of yourself than you ought. Pride shows itself in both ways. Pride can show itself in arrogance, thinking we're all that in a bag of chips. And it also can show in false humility because false humility actually is a form of pride because false humility can so many times be manipulative. So what's humility? I understand who I am as a son or daughter of the king and I live that out. Third thing, third thing. The remnant are those who continue to live in and live out God's kindness. Live in God's kindness and then also live out God's kindness. To live in God's kindness is an amazing place to be. It's an incredible place. And, and as, we, as we live in this place, to live in the kindness of God, Paul actually addressed this when he talks about the fact that the kindness of God is what brings us to repentance. The kindness of God is what causes us to be drawn to him, that when we go astray and when we walk away from him and when we want to do our own thing, that we're drawn back. It's his kindness, his forgiveness, his long suffering, his patience with us. To live in the kindness of God then means that we also live out the kindness of God to other people. It's impossible for us to share something that we have not experienced first. So therefore, when we experience the kindness of God, we are then enabled to live out the kindness of God. So who's the remnant? The remnant are those who continue to believe, those who remain humble, and those who continue to live in and live out the kindness of God. Once again, this is not something that you just power through to make happen. This isn't something that you just muster up enough strength to do. We have been given 
the Holy Spirit to help us to do this. See, here's the thing. God's got an amazing call on our lives as the church, individually and collectively. He's got an amazing plan and he wants to partner with us to carry out the mission of the church on the earth. He wants to partner with us to do this, but he's looking for a people that will say, in the face of everything, I will continue to believe. In the face of what I walk through, I will remain humble. And I will continue to live in the kindness of God, which means that I will be repentant and I will come. And when I recognize and when the Holy Spirit awakens things in me to help me understand where I've fallen away, that I will always come back, repent, to be clean, to be forgiven, to be washed, to be brought in to what's going to happen. Three things. I would encourage you this week to take these three things and to pray them into your spirit this week. I'm going to pray them in just a second to end. But I, I, I'm telling you something right now. There is something that will shift in your spirit when you begin to pray. Father, help me to continue to believe, to trust, to look to you for everything. Help me to continue to walk in humility and help me to walk in your kindness and show your kindness to the world. There's something amazing that happens. Next week, Romans 12, actually, Paul continues this theme of the remnant. And he actually takes these three things and he expands on them. And so Romans 12 is gonna be a little bit more of a deep dive into these three. But he has to start with the three because it all comes back to these things right here. Does this make sense? I, my pastoral heart is, and, and this, as I was praying for us, man, it, it just, it became so clear in my mind and I could, almost, I could almost see it. What? What if we were a people that were overcome by believing the impossible? Lived that way. Lived as though our God is the God of the impossible. What if we were a people that collectively walked in humility with one another? and with God? What if we were a people that lived out kindness, that experienced the kindness of the Father? A kindness that says you don't have to live a certain way, you don't have to work to earn your salvation. No, you live in the kindness of the Father. And then you pour that out to other people. Today, I, I, I just simply want to pray that as we, as we close over you, that this week, that there can be a greater revelation of God in your life than ever before. Why don't you do this? Why don't you stand with me today as we close? And uh, I, I hope you hear my heart on this and, and setting the tone for where we're going to be going next week. And, and I know was, there's more stuff to get through that Paul was talking about to get to where we were, but um, I think landing on what is, what is our lifestyle as a remnant? What does what our lifestyle of that look like? I'm going to pray. 
And then we're going to get ready to dismiss. Father, I, I, I thank you so much. Lord, for what you have done. Lord, I thank you for the power of the cross. I thank you that you put plans and you put purposes in place from the very beginning of time. And you're fulfilling those. And Father, I thank you that when we couldn't do anything, you did it all. We're so grateful for your plan. We're so grateful for the plan of salvation, redemption, the cross. And Father, I pray that, Lord, you would help us as as part of the remnant here at One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho, to be those that continue to believe in a God of the impossible, to continue to believe that you are a God who will fulfill the promises that you've made, that continue to believe that there is nothing too hard for you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a people to learn what it means to walk in true humility, to walk seeing ourselves how you see us, to walk in the true identity of sons and daughters of the King. Father, I pray that you would enable us to not get caught up in what culture says that we need to do and how we need to act and how we need to be and, and what that actually looks like, but we would actually be people that identified ourselves with scripture and living a life of humility before you and before man. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in your kindness, to not reject your kindness, to not walk away from it, but Lord, to live in your kindness and help us and empower us to be those that carry your kindness to the world. Let us be a light and let us be salt to the world around us. I pray that there's, for those who are here and in the sound of my voice who make one life home, I pray that there would be something different when people interact with us. Something transformational to take place.